And if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to read verse 12 through the end of the chapter, verse 17. If you don't have your Bibles with you, uh, you can turn to the back of your order of worship. Tonight, in our passage, Paul's picking back up with those travel plans that he started with in the beginning of the book, and he's showing how he depends on the Lord in his calling. And so far, we've seen that Paul has experienced all kinds of discouragement uh, in his apostolic ministry, both with the Corinth church and just the things that are going on around him. And this is the nature of authentic gospel ministry. It isn't always how Paul would plan it. And Paul suffers for the sake of it. But he's living out his life in complete submission to Christ. And as he goes along, he is bearing the cross of Christ in his flesh unto death. Paul is showing that his ministry is authentic, even in this suffering. I want to dispose of the last verse of what we're going to read tonight real quick. He says, For we're not like so many, peddlers of God's word, But men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. He's not a peddler. He's not preaching and and moving for the sake of the gospel so that he might have some earthly gain. But he's doing so because Christ has triumphed over him as he labors in this world. As shown by his suffering, he stands to have nothing to gain in himself, but that Christ be magnified and glorified. These things will become evident as we turn to God's Word. Let me pray. Our gracious God, we thank You for this Word that You have set before us. We thank You that You speak to us by this Word, Lord. And we ask that as You speak, that the Spirit of God would be at work, that You would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts might receive this Word tonight. We pray, Lord, that You would do this in our midst and our presence. We pray that Christ would be triumphant over us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Beginning with verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. This is God's word for his people. Amen? This evening we will consider three things as we consider the triumph of Christ. One, captive to God's will. Two, led on mission in the world. And three, assured of success. One, We are captive to God's will. Paul has his plans, and so does God. And one of the great 
challenges of the Christian life is to align our plans with the will of God. And I'm sure you've thought at some time that something would go one way only to find out that you end up discouraged because it didn't go the way you thought it would. Paul has been greatly distressed by what's been going on in Corinth and at this point in his writing he hasn't heard yet from Titus. He doesn't know how the severe letter is sitting with them. He's, he's, he's torn. He wants to be with them. Yet God has other plans. And now he's taken him to Troas. And there, uh, you would think Paul would be completely at peace because it says there's an open door for the gospel ministry. And yet he says his soul finds no rest because Titus isn't there. And so then the Lord leads him down to Macedonia. It's as if you can hear Paul going, in distress, what do you want from me, Lord? Where are you leading me? What would you have me do? In fact, as he goes to Macedonia, verse 7, it's not going to be easier there. He says in chapter 7, our bodies had no rest there. We were afflicted at every turn and fight without and fear within. So what has so captivated Paul that he can function in such trial. I want to take you back to a statement Paul makes in 1 Corinthians. In his letter there in chapter 15, he described his ministry to the church as dying every day. That doesn't sound very appealing. But he's describing the Christian life. He's both proclaiming I have things I want to do, and yet my greater sacrifice is that I am dying to myself unto the will of Christ Jesus. You see, he is captive to the will of God. Sure, he would like to be in Corinth. And sure, he would like to stay in Troas where there's going to be this fruitful gospel ministry. And yes, he wishes that he could see Titus, his faithful partner, by his side. And he would like a little rest, but his spirit cannot find it right now. I don't think he's griping. I think he's surrendering. He gives himself to God wherever He may lead Him. And that's why verse 14, that's why He can erupt into thanksgiving to God. For God has placed Him in a triumphal procession of Christ that is going throughout the world. But for just a moment, I want to camp in the groaning of Paul before we move ahead. Where does God have you now? Is it how you would have planned it? And what is the position of your heart in the matter? Would daily death be a descriptor of how you are living your life? What I mean is, are you dying to yourself every day? And what is it each day that, that holds captive your thoughts? Is it to do the will of God? Whom do you serve? Paul's whole argument 
and defense to Corinth has been, do you not see the greater plan for which God is leading me in this life? It's a heart check for the Corinth church. And Paul is held captive by God's plans. For him, it doesn't come without anxiety. I mean, we can't see what tomorrow holds. And that bothers us when we're trusting in God. We wish we knew what was coming down the road, but only God does, and we have to trust Him. And Paul's torn between travel plans and longing to be in the right place at the right time, and his heart's torn between Corinth and Troas and Titus and Macedonia, and his only comfort in the anxiety of decision and purpose is to give himself over totally to Christ as his captive. He has been captured to proclaim, as he said in 1 Corinthians 1, to preach Christ and Him crucified, whatever the cost. He has determined that wherever God may take him, that he will be the fragrance of Christ in verse 14 that rises up in the knowledge of him. As we leave point one, I want you to consider what captivates you. What drives you in this, in this world? Is it earthly gain? Is it earthly fame? Do you ever... Spend time thinking, how may I die to self today and live for Christ? This is what drives the apostle along in his ministry and as one to be imitated, as he says later. It should be our drive. So let us consider our second point, led on mission in the world. We come to the crux of Paul's argument in this passage. In fact, uh, it is the central theme of his ministry verse 14 Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere the Corinthian church would know exactly what Paul's describing here as he describes uh, what what for them would be an image of a Roman procession coming back into the city after a great victory. Just to describe it to you real quick. It would have all kinds of pomp and circumstance. And in this long train of people, there would be a, uh, incense burners that would be raising up a fragrance that would be burning in worship, an announcement, a sweet fragrance to the whole city that they might celebrate as they move towards the temple of Jupiter. And then there would be the, the general, the victorious general displayed in his chariot riding in and around him would be carts that were filled with uh, the things that they had plundered, the gold that they would have. There would be all kinds of things raised up as descriptors of the great battle that was won. We know this from historians. Behind that would be flowing people, Romans, who were captive that have been set free by this general as he moves. And then behind that would be the captives, the slaves, the servants, the conquered people. And they would be taken to um, the temple. And there, some would be sacrificed, some would be put in slavery, some would die. That's what's being described. And so, the question stands, what does Paul mean? And the, and the commentators are all over the place on what does Paul mean when he says he sees himself in the procession. Is he the incense bearer? 
The one who's sending up a fragrance of victory and worship. Or is he one of the rescued citizens, right? That's been captured and or returned and brought back home. Or is he one of the captive slaves? I believe he identifies most with the captured slave that is being led to death. Now you might think, what kind of mission is this to be led in this world to such an end? But Paul says so much when he describes his ministry in 2 Corinthians 4. This is what he says. Listen to the language that he uses about living as a Christian, living as an apostle in the world. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, you know, easily broken. And he says to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Now imagine Christ on His chariot, triumphant. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now does that sound like an incense burner? No. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. He says, for we who live are always being given over to death. For Jesus' sake, that's sacrifice. So that in the life of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so death is at work in us, but life in you. This sounds an awful lot like the prisoner in the train of the royal procession. Now how does this then relate to the mission in the world? The mission that we're being led on into ours. You see, Paul is a conquered enemy. Consider his testimony. On the road, he's traveling to go in prison or kill and murder the Christians, and Christ confronts him. He captures him. He arrests his life there. He takes Paul and he humbles him. And from there on, Paul's whole life is given wholly to Christ. In fact, uh, the, uh, the fact of the matter is that elsewhere Paul says that Christians who are saved, were saved when? While they were still enemies. The kind of enemies that flow at the back of a train of a general who is conquered. Jesus is the conqueror who takes captured spoil. But are we being led to death or does the whole illustration fall flat? It's not not the same as a Roman procession, you understand. Something's happening here. What is the death that is being described? I think it's two-pronged. Certainly for this apostle, you know, as he uses the we, the question here is what is the we? Is he talking about we, the apostles, or we, all Christians? They think he jumps back and forth between the two. Certainly, Paul is being led to death. He is literally going to die for the sake of the Gospel. Elsewhere in the world, martyrs will literally die for the sake of the Gospel. But it's two-pronged. Death isn't just losing your life physically. There's another death that all 
believers experience as captives to Christ. Romans 6 says, we are united to Christ in a death like His. He says this, our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. And now, listen, slave language, now we who were once slaves to sin have become slaves to righteousness. That is, slaves to Jesus Christ. And now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves, it says, to God. So in a way, death is salvation. Death to sin, death to self, and we experience this new life and death in another way. As we live and move in this world as believers, we suffer. And when we suffer, brothers and sisters, know this and foremost, as you suffer as a believer, for those things particular to being a believer, you are experiencing the very suffering of Jesus Christ as His conquered enemy. Listen to what one pastor recalls about Bonhoeffer, who said this. Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Bonhoeffer was about 30 years old when he penned these words in his classic work, The Cost of Discipleship. And eight years later, uh, uh, the doctor who was uh, dealing with these prisoners says... uh, at the execution of Bonhoeffer, because of his crimes against the Third Reich, says, in, almost, in the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. He says the doctor's words could not have been more appropriate to describe not only the way Bonhoeffer submitted himself to God in death, but also the manner in which he submitted himself to God in life, in his life and his death, Bonhoeffer grasps one crucial truth. To be set apart to God is to be set apart to die. To die to sin, to die to self, and to life itself. To take up our crosses daily and live unto Christ and embrace the true freedom, that's as a slave, by the way, the true freedom that only comes when Christ calls a man to die and live abundantly in Him. Listen, there is no other processional train you would rather be in as a captured slave than that of Jesus Christ. Do you see what's being said here? There's an aroma that comes from this, a fragrance of sacrifice, as Paul calls it in verse 14, a fragrance spreading everywhere of the knowledge of Him. And now it sounds weird, but what kind of smell are you putting off in this world? What is the aroma of your life? This wraps back into what you are held captive to. Who is riding in the victor's chariot in your life? Now that's the seat we all want. We want to be riding in the chariot in full display and everyone looking at us. It's Christ's. And the most jarring thought that we could have 
Would it be that we are, in a part, we are a part of the train of captives whose life is sacrifice and suffering? But if we're dying to Christ, it really is a glorious end. The Gospel gives us great hope in the midst of suffering. And how we navigate it is like an aroma that rises up to the world that proclaims something great is happening. Yes, even in the suffering saint. Are you captured? Are you in the train of Christ's glorious triumph? I hope that as you hear these words, that you, you see the connection. I really struggled with, will I make this argument and connect you with how glorious it is to be a captive of Christ? To be able to say, has He triumphed over me? Does He carry me along in this victorious, triumphal procession? What is evident to you? I hope this evening is that you would rather be nowhere else. That your announcement, even if you're suffering, would be thanks be to God who has captured me and carries me along. And that all of a sudden you see how Paul's turmoil finds its praise in being carried along by the will of God. But what is that will? What does that look like? What's the practical application? Our last point. We are assured of success. To once again consider the whole procession of the triumphant Christ, we must remember that this is already true. Christ is victorious. And He is uh, triumphing in the world. And it is on display for the world. We're not waiting for Him to win a victory. He has won. This is the general, by the way, greater than any Roman general. The general who has been killed and rose again. You never want to stand against a general who is impervious to dying again. The everlasting This is Christ, victorious. The One who has put death to death and conquered sin in our stead. So what would He have us do as His captives? What is the will of God for His people? What is the fragrance that our lives should be sending up? Is it not evangelism? We are to be the aroma of God in this world that stinks to the high heavens of sin and death and suffering that is despair. We are to be the ones that say, He has gone to war and He has purchased you enemies by His own precious blood. the announcement of the Gospel. For us to turn and look at this Christ who reigns and rules. And we are to announce it in the world and it is to rise up like a fragrance declaring the knowledge of Him in the world. And to some, verse 16, if you wonder, uh, you, you have a bit of fear in sharing the Gospel, how will it be received? For some, they will never like the smell of it, it says. It will smell like 
death. But for some, it will be the very fragrance of life that leads to life. This is the will of God for His people. To go into the world sending up this fragrance as those who have been conquered, those who are under His command, those who move by His will. And the will of God is that you would go and not worry about the victory. Not worry about whether or not you might convince somebody. But see, at work in this triumphal ministry of Christ is the conquering Jesus. Leave the conquering to Him. And as you live and move in the world, sharing your faith in the Gospel, know that Christ will be triumphant. I'm out of time, so I think I'm going to end there. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged. Be encouraged that Christ has conquered all. And He rules. And He carries you along with Him. Amen? Let's pray.